Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effect on the markets. The content that will be discussed is intended for information and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or investment recommendation. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you are prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now on to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Digest and Invest podcast, a special one this week. Um, as usual, I'm joined by the main man in Sydney, Australia, Josh Gilbert, our market analyst. But we've got Ben Laidler, our global market strategist, with us today. Ben, Josh, how are we? Yeah, all good. Here, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, exalted company, as you say. Yeah, I'm good as well, Sam. Good to be back. Uh, good to be recording another episode and always a pleasure to have Mr. Laidler with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I thought it would be a good idea considering we've uh, we've got the latest retail investor beat survey. So we did this, well, probably about three months ago um, for, for the, the previous quarter that we ran it for. So no better time. Um, so before we do get into it, Ben, it'd be, be go, good to sort of get an overview of, of what exactly the retail beat investor survey is. Yeah, well, the clue's in the name, right? So Global Survey, Retail Investors, um, 26 questions on what they are investing in, what, what they're worried about, what they're bullish on. Um, so, you know, 8,500 do-it-yourself investors, 12 countries, you know, US, UK, Europe, um, even through Australia in, Josh. <laughs> Just to make them feel at home. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we need to be thrown into these things sometimes, so yeah all, all those miles away and um, well look we, we did this last time where we attached the link into the bio so for, for anyone listening right now if you go down to the bio i'm pointing like you'd be able to see me but you'd be able to, to click on on the link for the, the survey um and go through it page by page but the, the, the standout from this survey is the retail investors continue to have a bigger influence on markets than ever before right and i mean toro added around nine million uh, from sort of 2020 to 2021 in terms of users. And I think that reflects the growth that we've seen from retail investors in, in the last two years, right? Yeah. And, and and to be frank, that's why we're doing the survey, right? There's, there's a lot of surveys out there asking institutional investors what they're thinking and what they're doing. Uh, but there's basically nothing out there for, for retail investors and DIY investors. And, and in my mind, that's just a massive oversight. You know, as you say, They've only become more important. Uh, just to throw sort of one stat at you, uh, because we have it, uh, US households, right? Biggest equity market in the world. They have near double the amount of money invested in equities now than they have done historically. Uh, and this is just a huge, huge driver uh, for markets. So I think retail investors are you know, key market support. I think they're here to stay. And, and interestingly, for the future, uh, three quarters of them say that they're going to keep investing the same amount or more in the future. Uh, so if you're worried about markets, you know, that is a, you know, I would argue a pretty big foundation, uh, you know, right there alone. Yeah, there's some huge numbers. And, you know, obviously, I think that's obviously been exasperated by uh, the, the market sort of volatility, COVID, uh, obviously, you know, everything that we've seen in the last sort of two years. And and I think Sam said it a minute ago, we, we were last released the survey back in, in January 2022, when we went back through sort of Q4. Um, and since then, the market landscape has changed a fair bit. I think it's it's fair to say. Um, 
have we seen a change in what investors are buying and, and are they looking to diversify away from tech, which was previously the most popular sector from January 2022, Ben? Josh is so cool, calm and collected. I mean, he's like the master of understatement. You know, barely nothing's changed since, since January. <laughs> right? So, you know, um, but, but yeah, so, so two big takeaways, for, for I think, from the survey. One is just diversification. You know, risks are you know, clearly higher. Uh, and unsurprisingly, I, you know, I think investors are, are you know, have, have diversified, you know, with that. Um, and we just see that across the board, right? Um, we see that among sectors, you know, energy is now, you know, top of tech as the most favoured, um, most favoured sector. Uh, we're seeing a rise of sort of more traditional defensive sectors like utilities and consumer staples becoming more popular. Uh, we see it across asset classes, you know, commodities, crypto, just ever more, uh, you know, popular. Um, you know, and even even in themes, right? People are people are sort of buying themes. So, you know, it's not just get long tech, get long the US, right? Which has been the trade for the last few years. People, I think, responding to these higher risks by getting more diversified, and that makes it a lot of sense. Uh, so that'd be one takeaway. The other one, it's just the the resilience of the retail investor. Um, you know, despite all these risks, um, according to the survey, seventy three percent are confident in their portfolios. Uh, under half have actually done any repositioning at all. Um, you know, most are really just hanging tight, are confident in their allocations and, and, and the research they've done. And again, I think that's, a, you know, another big sort of foundation and anchor for this market. Yeah, 73% confident in their portfolios. I love that. They must, uh, they must listen to your webinars, Ben and Josh, and, uh, and the podcast. I think that's why. Um, I can't forget your webinars, mate. Don't, uh, don't leave I, I set you up perfectly to say that, you know, just hoping like, say it. <laughs> um, on uh, on crypto, I guess we can move over to, to that side of the market. And like like Josh was saying, it's it's been an interesting start to the year, tough start to the year. But given everything that's, that's sort of been thrown at it, it's it's fair to say that that Bitcoin and, and other top assets have, have been fairly resilient. Um, how have we seen a, a drop though in investor sentiment for crypto from the from the survey, or are actually investors bullish? Yeah, I, I think the crypto results are frankly pretty remarkable. Right. I mean, this is an asset class that didn't exist a decade ago. And now for the first time in this survey, it's now the second best owned asset class of all of them um, you know, after only domestic equities. So, you know, more people in crypto than bonds than currencies than you know, commodities and FX, in many cases, sort of multiples uh, of that. Uh, and again, just to put some numbers on this. So, um, you know, 29 percent of investors own crypto today uh, and they own a lot. The average weight that they have in their portfolios is 31%, which is just dramatic. Um, and you scratch the surface on that, and there's some other interesting stuff going on. I mean, we've definitely seen a return, you know, sort of back to basics, right? I mean, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum are sort of back in favor a little bit. Altcoin's a bit more out of favor. Um, we've, um, um, but, you know, overall, this is just a pretty resilient story. I mean, the, um, you know, the, when you ask investors why they own crypto, the biggest reason is they see it as a transformative asset. Uh, so, you know, the people that own it, and there's a lot of them, are, are, are pretty committed. Interesting, those numbers for sure. I, I had a um, I had a media request come through today, uh, and the media request was uh, crypto or does crypto have an important part to pay uh, in a diversified investment portfolio? So I think those numbers speak for themselves and i think clearly uh, investors feel that, that it does um 
and then I guess obviously we spoke about it a minute ago, Ben, about those uh, those worries uh, in the market and that the landscape has slightly changed since January. But what are the biggest worries for investors right now? You know, what do they see as the biggest risks, and and are we seeing investors panic sell or reposition their portfolios? Um, you know, we mentioned that seventy percent or so are, are happy in their. Um, with, with their sort of current holdings. Um, but are we seeing anything sort of change because of that sort of concern that we've seen so far this year? Yeah, so there's been a lot of change. I mean, the the biggest ones, obviously, the geopolitics, right? I mean, you ask people what the biggest risk is, and geopolitics is now you know, basically off the charts, right, as, 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 as the biggest risk. Um, and, and is up a lot, obviously, given the Ukraine war. Um, and, and more broadly, um, you know, people are just more concerned about the economic outlook. Right, whether that's globally, whether that's in in their home market, and again, very understandable. Growth was sort of naturally slowing pre the Ukraine crisis, and and it's probably going to pick up a little bit more now, right? So I guess that's sort of uh, understandable. Um, but you know, ha- having said all that, y- y- again, you scratch the surface, and yeah, people are worried about geopolitics, people are worried about sort of domestic economy, but you know, they're very confident in their own job, their own financial outlook their own household finances, um, which I think is interesting, right? Given, you know, we have a cost of living crisis in going on in many parts of the world with interest rates going up in many parts of the world. So again, just another sign of this sort of relative resilience. Uh, and um, just, I guess, more data that investors are pretty comfortable with with their allocations. I mean, only 41% of them have um, done anything to reallocate their portfolios um, since, um, you know, since January. Um, and, you know, my read on that is again, as I said before, that I think they're pretty comfortable with sort of what they've got. They've kicked the tires, they've diversified, they've done the research, and and um, you know, as I say, seventy three percent remain confident in um, in in their investment portfolios right now. If not, maybe in the performance of those portfolios, uh, certainly in um, you know their asset allocation. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure long term they're happy. And you mentioned research there as well, and we always talk about the importance of a. Uh, of a long-term mindset when it comes to investing and, and doing their research. Does, does this survey give any particular insight into where these investors are getting their research from, but also the time frame of their investments? Yeah, so there's a lot of sort of really interesting sort of background data, right? When you scratch the surface, it's not just about, you know, what people are investing in, it's, it's you know, how they get there. And 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 the breadth of research is, is really interesting. I mean, the top source is sort of family and friends. Uh, and sort of traditional media, but sort of social media online has has, has really been soaring as a um, as, as a sort of research tool. Uh, it's a big demographic split there. Obviously, if you're a younger investor, sort of more than half of young investors that's their primary sort of research tool. Obviously, declines uh, if you're if 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 you're sort of a bit older like me, <laughs> um, to be polite. Um, and um, but but really, what people are looking for, and this comes through loud and clear, right? They're looking for investment ideas. They're looking to sort of educate themselves. Um, so you know, it's 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 a pretty reassuring message. And um, I think this is doubly important when the other thing that stands out is just there's a lot of new investors, right? And you know, you mentioned the Toro numbers at the beginning. I mean, we're seeing this, right? But basically, a quarter of retail investors, and this survey is a global survey, right? It's not an eToro survey. A quarter of investors are new to investing. Um, so the fact that they're sort of taking the time, they're doing the research, there's multiple sources of research, they're looking to educate themselves, uh, I, I think it's hugely positive. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of sort of false narratives out there, right? All these new investors that are all just sort of sitting at home in their pajamas and day trading and losing, and losing lots of money, right? Um, yeah, you don't see that in the data, right? 4% of investors trade every day. Uh, 26% 
don't even trade once a year. Um, so, you know, this, this is very sticky. That's not to say they don't care. Uh, you know, 84% of them are looking at their portfolios at least once a month. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of oversight going on. There's just not a lot of overtrading. Um, and again, I think that's, um, you know, I think that's pretty reassuring. I want the mindset of whoever's only checking their portfolio once a month because <laughs> I check mine every single day. So whoever's saying that it's, you know, once a month, then I, I want to learn learn their secret. Um, I also wonder if we look at the, the information sources when we talk about personal friends and family, I wonder if that's increased or would have increased because of COVID, right? That conversation around sort of the dinner table, um, you know, just conversations a bit more about that um about investing because going back a number of years it was a bit private and a bit secret so i wonder if that's that's increased um because of because of covid but one of the the big points for me from this survey was you know really the home buyers investors love buying into local equities which i guess makes sense given they're they're likely to understand these these markets and, and therefore stocks much better but why else are investors buying domestic equities? And do you think investors are too heavily invested locally, Ben? Yeah, so, so this was a topic that we really focused on in the survey this time, right? Um, to your point, you know, investors do own a lot of equities you know, in their home market. Um, you know, domestic equities is the biggest allocation. And, and um, uh, you know, I would argue, you know, potentially, you know, over allocated, right, at, at a time when I think diversification is sort of more important than ever um and, and frankly you know australia just to you know not, not not to pick on you right but that's one of the markets where um people are most focused on only owning domestic equities and not really diversifying um diversifying globally now on the one hand you know there's a lot of sort of good reasons for that right we always say invest in what you know and obviously if um um you know you probably you probably know the the, the stocks and and the environment in in your local market better than you do in in in, in the foreign market, um, and sort of risks are uh, perceived as as lower. Uh, many perceive the returns are going to be higher in their local market, uh, and 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 that the costs are uh, somewhat lower. Um, but you know if you ask people, you know those that are investing abroad, you know why are they investing abroad? And I think you know this is. It's really all about diversification. That's really off the charts. Is you know the biggest reason people are sort of um, investing outside of their sort of domestic market. Uh, they're looking for some better returns. Um, obviously, you know if you've been a UK investor for the last sort of five years and you haven't been invested in the US, that's obviously sort of been difficult. Um, they're looking for more attractive markets, looking for more sector exposure. Uh, again, you know big sector differences in these markets, right? I mean, US, China, very tech heavy places like you know Australia um you know canada uk a lot more sort of old economy um and you know doing much better right now in this sort of new environment so again just speaking to this point of um you know just because something's worked well for the last few years doesn't mean it's going to keep working well you know we are in an environment where i think you do need to diversify more and we just wanted to sort of kick the tires a little bit on sort of what those numbers are telling us and you know people are very um focused on their domestic markets I think for a lot of understandable reasons, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be sort of looking to diversify a little bit more, especially in this environment. Yeah, I imagine there's there's a lot of people like myself that are pretty happy they diversified out of the FTSE many years ago <laughs> and, and went abroad, but it will have its day. I'm sure it will have its day soon. Um, but one, uh, one, one thing, just going back to, to the survey again, and we saw this last time, right, was the the rise of the younger and, and, and female investors. So we can scoot back to, to this. Are, are, are these still both 
both these trends perhaps still a little bit underappreciated? Uh, and is there any sort of in looking to so what the, the future holds there? Yeah, I mean, the numbers are, are dramatic, right? According to the survey, uh, 51%, so over half of those aged under 34 have only started investing in the last two years. Um, and, and similarly for women, right? Many more women have started investing in the last few years uh, than, than men. And I think, you know, th these are just uh, seismic changes, right? We, we always say you need to start, you know, you need to start investing early and not enough women in, mar in the market, et cetera, et cetera. But that really is changing. Uh, and and changing and changing very quickly, uh, so so that's that's one and two. Uh, they invest differently, and I think we all need to be sort of aware of that. Um, you know, younger investors um, because they have much longer to retirement are very comfortable taking more risk. Yeah. Um, you know, they own more tech, uh, they own more crypto, they they own more meme stocks, um, and and in many ways that's you know that's totally understandable and the right thing to do. Um, you know, female investors, for example, um, they they tend to be a bit more risk averse. They tend to um, uh, invest more in themes. They tend to care more about sort of ESG. Uh, they tend to do a bit more research. Um, and therefore, when you look at the data, they actually tend to perform better than men over time, um, uh, which is a little bit of a sort of reality check for uh, for people like me. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are sort of staggering. I mean, you slice and dice in different ways, but we're seeing a sort of big shift to younger investors, big pickup of female investing. And I think we need to pay attention because, you know, they do invest sort of somewhat differently. Also the, you know, when you mentioned the younger investors, then we're talking about crypto and, you know, owning tech, they also own half of domestic equities compared to the older generation, which is also interesting. Um, you know, maybe that's you know perceived as taking more risk and in investing abroad over time, um, or probably just knowing more international stocks. You know, I think that might be it. You know, we probably know more international stocks, and they probably do local stocks these days, and probably maybe a bit more exciting than the miners that we have on the ASX. Um, but anyway, Ben, thank you for those insights into the mind uh, of the retail investor. But we're not going to let you go um, without uh, having a look into the markets. Um, we want to we want to have a bit of a look into into Q2. Um, pretty tough start from Q1. So, what's your view on markets for Q2? Are things getting better? Should investors feel a little bit more confident? Do we have a few few brighter days ahead? Listen, I, I think the glass is half full, right? Not half empty. I, I'm still constructive, as you say. It was a it was a pretty tough start to the year. There were very few places to hide. Um, basically, commodities was the only asset class that, that, that was up in, in the first quarter. Um, but my take is a little bit different, right? I actually think markets were very resilient. You know, if we knew in 1st of January what we know now with the Fed hiking, you know, threatening to hike 2.5% this year with inflation running at 8% in the US, um, you know, we just had a shocking inflation number out of the UK um, with war in Ukraine, with oil over $100, I mean, with China going into lockdown again. I mean, everyone has their own list, right? But that was a pretty long one already. Um, then I think you could argue markets should have done a lot worse. So I actually think the narrative so far has been actually markets have been very resilient. Um, one. Two, what happens from here? Um, I think all those risks um, that are out there, we've been talking about, that have taken markets down, uh, I think there's a decent chance that they all get a little bit less bad over the second quarter. And that's basically my narrative from here. I don't think, you know, we're going to go back to all sort of sunshine and rainbows um, overnight. I just don't think that's how these things work. But I do think 
um, a little bit less bad news um, would really help drive markets up. And, and actually, when you look back historically, that's when you make most of your money. You don't make most of your money when things are good and we all know that they're good. You make money at these sort of turning points when sentiment's very depressed, valuations have come down, markets have come down, and you get a little bit of relief. That's what I think is going to happen in uh, a second quarter we're just going to worry a little bit less about all those uh, other things and maybe they all turn up um you know just uh, become a little bit less bad um and um i i think well one of the catalysts could could be the sort of ending season which is about to kick off um you know right now yeah the, the, the bad list a lot of it like you said it's, it's kind of priced in so if that does get a li- li- little bit less bad it's great for the markets and you know i guess the the, the, the sort of the biggest focus from the p- first part of this week or, or maybe the whole week really was the inflation number that we did have yesterday so that came in at 8.5 i think it was expected at 8.3 40 year high and it's actually quite lucky because i was doing a uh, a webinar at the time and i was saying look we're pricing in a very high reading the top end of the range is like 8.7 it doesn't get above that this market's not going to go lower short term and luckily it spiked higher because uh I guess so much was 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 priced into the bad side, so I got a bit lucky there in front of all the uh, the webinar viewers. But uh, what does this inflation reading actually mean for the markets itself? And does it almost solidify now, come the May meeting, that we're going to have a fifty basis point hike? Yeah, so I, I think to a certain degree the Fed's sort of on autopilot here, at least for the next few meetings, right? I think they're going to do fifty basis points for the next probably the next three meetings. Right. I mean, they're behind the curve. They need to they need to get up the curve, you know, say what you like. But, you know, inflation is over eight percent. And that's a very big number. And the Fed targets it too. Right. So there's just a yawning chasm uh, that they need to sort of get up over there. Uh, so that's all the bad news. I mean, the, 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 the sort of better news is I think we're pretty close to that peak inflation number. Um, you know, the reason I think you know, the market did OK, or tried to rally yesterday, but I think for two reasons. One. Uh, you scratch the surface to those inflation numbers. There's a few sort of chinks of light that maybe, you know, it's it's we're getting pretty near that peak, and 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 you know some of these numbers that really concerned us are beginning to sort of ease off a little bit. You know, one data point doesn't make a trend, but um, that's the first time we've seen that sort of you know chink of light that we when it were close close to peak inflation. And one, two, um, we've priced an awful lot in for the Fed. I mean, the, again, the market says 50 basis point hikes, the next three meetings, then we just keep going on and on and on until we get to sort of 325 uh, in, um, you know, in about a year's time. I mean, that is pretty dramatic. Um, so, and markets have priced that in. So, um, you know, I, the question I'm asking is, what do you need to see for the market to price in even more interest rate hikes? Um, and, and, and so that's why, you know, I, again, I think the glass is half full. I think we're pretty close to inflation peak. And I think we priced in a pretty aggressive Fed, you know, already. And it would take, you know, a lot more bad news, I think, to change that sort of decisively. Markets want to go up, don't they? They rallied yesterday. They want to go up. Um, but look, I mean, outside of that inflation reading, you've already mentioned it, Ben. But obviously, the, the, the other big news is that earnings season sort of starts again this week. Uh, JP Morgan will unofficially kick everything off again tonight, uh, Wednesday evening, depending on when you're when you're listening to this um with the other banks then obviously sort of following suit throughout the the end of the week what are we expecting ben from from earnings season you mentioned that markets have been resilient so far so do we need a good earnings season to support those that sort of resilience that we've seen 
So I'll say a couple of things. Remember, there's only two ways to make money in markets, right? Either valuations go up or earnings go up and valuations have been coming down and they probably keep coming down, frankly, as uh, you know, the Fed hikes interest rates and everything else. So it's all on earnings. Earnings are always important. They're more important now than ever. Um, the good news is I think earnings have been sort of very, very resilient. Um, and I think um, the importance of this quarter, earnings quarter is if earnings beat expectations, as I think they're going to, because expectations are so low, and companies have been very good at being able to generate profits in this sort of environment and you know navigate increased costs and and, and everything else. Um, I think that'll just be a reminder to these very nervous markets that actually economic growth and earnings growth is not, maybe not as bad as we thought it was. Um, and these companies are you know more resilient than we thought they are. And I, again, I think it's just one of these building blocks to this sort of less bad scenario in the second quarter, which I think could take. Um, could could take markets up. Um, I think it's unfortunate that financials are starting earnings season, given that I think those are going to be some of the messier, that's going to be one of the messier sectors. But I think the overall narrative when all is said and done from earnings is they're going to be, they're going to be pretty solid. They're going to be a bit better than expected. And that um, uh, could, um, you know, re really help us sort of rebuild the foundations for um, the market to do better in the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, guys, uh, for, for the earnings season kicking off, just for, for the viewers, um, there will be none on Friday due to it being a bank holiday in, well, most parts of the world. So Friday and Monday, uh, upcoming likely to be very quiet days in the market. Next week, got Chinese GDP, retail sales, industrial production, which might be of interest. RBA minutes on the Tuesday, got Eurozone final CPI from, from March, probably not expecting too much there. Consumer confidence flash reading from April, that'd be an interesting one to keep an eye on. And then you've got the UK flash PMIs on the Friday and retail sales there as well. So an interesting week next week, nonetheless, earnings season kicking on. Uh, but we will wrap it up there for, for now. Thank you to for everyone for, for making it through. Uh, just a reminder that it was a global survey. So it's, um, you know, not just eToro users themselves. Uh, but thank you very much, guys, for, for joining um for anyone still listening obviously you can head to the eToro academy for podcasts guys videos everything that your heart can desire but guys i'll, I'll see you both in in three months time right check back in for another survey then but i will be in the uk so uh, very soon we're not we're not far off about a month i'm going to be joining uh both sam and ben so we might have a special in-person episode on the way oh, so definitely. definitely take care guys have a good one You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com.